Good morning and welcome to the Product of IT Cybersecurity Daily number 196. It is Wednesday, September 2nd, 2020. I'm your host, Scott Gumbar, and it's National Insider Threat Awareness Month. This podcast is brought to you by Nuage Tech, a client-focused and security-minded IT consultant based in Central Connecticut. You can visit us at nuagetech.com. That's N-W-A-J-Tech.com. Happy Wednesday, everyone. Happy hump day. We've reached the midway point of the week. Wherever you're listening to this, if you could like, share, comment, or review, that would be great. And if you're in a HIPAA-compliant business, you can go to Facebook and or LinkedIn, type in Get HIPAA Compliance, and join that group. Uh, and we are also launching another podcast, but I, it's a going to be a weekly podcast, and it's going to be HIPAA-focused, but we will get to that another day. Um, it is National Insider Threat Awareness Month. I was not even aware that that existed, but it does. So I found this on the CISA's website which you could go to at us-cert.cisa.gov, cisa.gov. And um, there's a posting on their alerts, their current activity page, which says September is National Insider Threat Awareness Month, NIATM, because you know in IT we have to give everything an acronym, which is collaborative collaborative effort between the National Counterintelligence and Security Center, NCSC, National Insider Threat Task Force, NITTF, Office of the Undersecretary of Defense, Intelligence, and Security, Department of Homeland Security, and Defense Counterintelligence and Security Agency to emphasize the importance of detecting, deterring, and reporting insider threats. And so we've talked about insider threats on here a few times. We just had one last week where a woman stole some identities from a place she worked and paid her bills with them, which, you know, as I said at the time, wasn't really bright, but it did turn into a HIPAA breach. So that's an insider threat, an insider threat, people stealing company information and so forth. So the post on the CISA's website has links to insider threat mitigation, a one-hour webinar that uh, is uploaded to YouTube, so you can watch it whenever you want, and ITTF resource library and center for development of security and excellence insider threat awareness training and training so if you want training on how to mitigate insider threats i suggest you go check that out on bleepy computer and well if you open firefox then you already know this firefox 80.0.1 rolled out to fix crashes and download issues so you should update immediately if you use firefox on threat post, U.S. voter databases offered for free on dark web. Some underground forum users said they're monetizing the information through the State Department's anti-influence campaign effort. Personal information for several million American voters has turned up on a Russian underground cybercrime forum, according to reports, and users are purportedly looking to monetize it using a recently launched State Department program meant to prevent election meddling. The personal information includes names, dates of birth, gender, physical addresses, and email addresses, and election-specific data, such as when an individual registered to vote, voter registration numbers, and polling stations, according to Commerçant, a Moscow-based newspaper. The outlet reported Tuesday that several databases of voter data, including one encompassing 7.6 million voters in Michigan and others covering between 2 million and 6 million voters 
each for Arkansas, Connecticut, Florida, and North Carolina turned up in an unnamed marketplace in late 2019. Now that information is being offered for free in discussion forums by someone going by the handle Gorka9, according to Karmasant. The publication added that the hacker said that the data was still valid as of this past March. Security from InfoWatch confirmed that the databases seem authentic. A spokesperson for InfoWatch said the information could be used to mount influence campaigns bent on swaying U.S. voters towards one candidate or another, but more likely it could be used to mount convincing phishing efforts. As is usual in cases like these, victims registered voters will need to be on the lookout for bad actors attempting to use the information gleaned from these databases to obtain even more information about their targets. Chris Hawk consumer privacy champion at Pixel Privacy told ThreatPost via email. It is sad to believe that in this day and age that simply registering to exercise your right to vote can make you a target of hackers. So it is pretty sad. Um, so it sounds like um, millions of voter registration information is exposed. Now that information is freely available, but you have to know the person's name and I in some cases, probably other information to be able to, to find that. Um, so in other words, if I check, I can see what my party affiliation is and, and I believe my polling location as well for free. Um, so this is not that big of a stretch, but to have a database of millions means probably, as the article says, there will be phishing attacks. And they will be centered around voting, which is rapidly approaching. We just have we have just over two months to go, and which will mean some fraud, I'm sure. Pioneer Kitten APT sells corporate network access. This is on Threat Post. The Iranian, the Irene, Iranian-based APT, that's Advanced Persistent Threat, has infiltrated multiple VPNs using open source tools and known exploits. An APT group known as Pioneer Kitten, linked to Iran, has been spotted selling corporate network credentials on hacker forums. The credentials would let other cyber criminal groups and APTs perform cyber, cyber espionage and other nefarious cyber activity. Pioneer Kitten is a hacker group that specializes in infiltrating corporate networks using open source tools to compromise remote external servers. Researchers observed an actor associated with the group advertising access to compromised networks on an underground forum in July, according to the blog post Monday from Alex Orleans, a senior intelligence analyst at Crowdfire, or I'm sorry, CrowdStrike Intelligence. Pioneer Kitten's work is related to other groups either sponsored or run by the Iranian government, which were previously seen hacking VPNs and planting backdoors in companies around the world. So as we know, there's been multiple VPN vulnerabilities. Uh, actually, it looks like it talks about it further in the article with Pulse and Citrix er, and F5 earlier this year or late last year. And so now they're they're taking advantage of those vulnerabilities if you have not patched them. Indeed, the credential sales on hacker forums seem to suggest a potential attempt at revenue stream diversification to complement its targeted intrusions in support of the Iranian government, Orleans wrote. However, Pioneer Kitten, Kitten, which has been around since 2017, does not appear to be directly operated by Iranian government, but is rather sympathetic to the regime and likely a private contractor, Orleans noted. Pioneer Kitten's chief mode of operations is its reliance on SSH tunneling using open source tools such as NGROC, and a custom tool called SSH Minion. He wrote, the group uses these tools to communicate with implants and hands-on 
keyboard activity via remote desktop protocol to exploit vulnerabilities in VPNs and network appliance to do its dirty work. CrowdStrike observed the group leveraging several critical exploits, in particular CVE 2019-11510, 2019-19781, and most recently 2020-5902. All three exploits affect VPNs and networking equipment, including Pulse Secure Connect, Enterprise VPNs, Citrix servers, and network gateways, and F5 Network's big IP load balancers. Pioneer Kittens targets are North American and Israeli organizations in various sectors that represent some type of intelligence interest to the Iranian government, according to CrowdStrike. Target sectors run the gamut and include technology, government, defense, healthcare, aviation, media, academic, engineering, consulting, and professional services, chemical, manufacturing, financial services, insurance, and retail. While not all not as well known or widespread in its activity as other nation state threats such as China and Russia. Iran has emerged in recent years as a formidable formidable cyber enemy, amassing a number of APTs to mount attacks on its political adversaries. Of these, Charming Kitten, which also goes by names APT35, Ajax, or Phosphorus, seems to be the most active and dangerous, while others bearing similar names seem to be spin-offs or support groups. Iran overall appears to be ramping up its cyber activity lately. CrowdStrike's report actually comes in the heels of news that Charming Kitten also has resurfaced recently. A new campaign is used using LinkedIn and WhatsApp to convince targets, including Israeli university scholars and U.S. government employees, to click on malicious link that can steal credentials. We did talk about that one. That was, uh, I believe, that had something to do with cryptocurrency jobs. Operating since 2014, Charming Kitten is known for politically motivated and socially engineered attacks and often uses phishing as its attack of choice. Targets of the APT, which users uses clever social engineering to snare victims, have been email accounts tied to the Trump 2020 re-election campaign and public figures and human rights activists, among others. Bleep a computer credit card data smuggled via private telegram channel. So if you're not aware... Telegram is a, I guess it's a chat kind of app that is supposedly secure. You know, I say supposedly, it it, it does say it's encrypted and that people cannot um, breach it, but you never know. Anyway, security researchers noticed that some cyber criminals attacking online stores are using private Telegram channels to steal credit card information from customers making purchases on victim sites. The, the find is the first public documentation of this trick that makes data extraction more efficient and the entire card skimming operation easier to manage. The new method was discovered by Affable Kraut using data from Sansec, a company specialized in fighting digital skimming. The researcher analyzed the malicious JavaScript, which includes common anti-analysis protections. In a thread on Twitter, Kraut explains how the script works, noting that it collects data from any type of input field and sends it to a Telegram channel. All the information is encrypted using a public key, a Telegram bot, then posts the stolen data in a chat as a message. Kraut notes that while this method is efficient for a data exfiltration, it can backfire because anyone with the token for a Telegram bot can take control of the process. Jerome Segura, Director of Threat Intelligence at Malwarebytes, also analyzed the script, saying that it's Author applied simple base64 encoding to the bot ID, telegram channel, and API requests below is an image. So there's an image here showing how the entire process works. And again, this is on bleepy computer, so you can go take a look at that. The researcher says that data exfiltration begins only 
if the browser's current URL contains a keyword indi indicative of a shopping site and when the user validates the purchase, payment details will then be sent to both the legitimate payment processor and the cyber criminals. In an analysis posted today, Segura, which was yesterday, points out that this mechanism eliminates the need for data exfiltration infrastructure, which could be blocked by security solutions or taken down by law enforcement. Furthermore, protecting against the skimmer variant is not easy. Blocking Telegram connections is a temporary solution because attackers could pick a different legitimate service that would hide the exfiltration. Telegram has been used in the past to exfiltrate stolen data. Last year, Juniper Networks published research about information stealer called Massad Clipper and stealer using the chat platform to deliver two cyber criminals sensitive data stored in the victim's web browser like logins, addresses, credit cards. And this is why I tell people do not store passwords in your browser. Segura says that Malwarebytes identified a couple of online stores infected with this variant of payment card skimmer. However, the researcher believes that these are not the only ones that the several more and several that there are several more that have been infected. On bleeping computer also Google now pays for bugs used to bypass its anti-fraud systems. Google today announced that company's vulnerability reward program has expanded to also include bug reports on methods threat actors can use to bypass the company's abuse, fraud, and spam systems. A few examples of potentially valid reports for this program could include bypassing our account recovery system at scale, identifying services vulnerable to brute force attacks, circumventing restrictions on content use and sharing, or purchasing items from Google without paying, Google's Eric Brown and Mark Henson said. Reports highlighting such abuse techniques submitted to the Google's Vulnerability Reward Program will be reviewed by the company's trust and safety team whose experts are specialized in preventing and mitigating abuse, fraud, and spam activity across the Google's multiple product platforms. This program does not cover individual instances of abuse, of abuse such as the posting of content that violates our guidelines or policies, sending spam emails, or providing links to malware, they added. Valid reports reaching Google's trust and safety team will most likely result in code changes designed to make sure that the technique used to bypass the company's anti-fraud systems won't be usable in the future. So Google ramping up on anti-fraud systems, making sure that they cannot be bypassed and um, doing their best to mitigate that risk. And if you're you know into blue hat hacking, which is vulnerability to, uh, I guess, web application testing, best best definition for it, then this might be of interest to you. All right, a little bit of healthcare IT news. Healthcare execs say telehealth is their number one pandemic tech problem. Other major challenges include remote patient monitoring, interoperability, real-time data analytics, work from home resources, and patient surveillance, according to a new KLAS report. A new report from the research firm KLAS found that nearly half of the 19 healthcare executives surveyed say that either telehealth functionality or capacity has been their primary problem to solve during the early stages of COVID-19 crisis. Other major challenges include remote patient monitoring, interoperability, real-time data analytics, work from home, resources, and patient surveillance. While healthcare organizations have found stopgaps in many areas, few have successfully implemented permanent solutions that serve a long-term strategy, wrote the report authors. As the no novel coronavirus pandemic spread across the country this spring, the need became quickly evident for healthcare organizations to spin up telehealth solutions, aided by relaxed 
federal regulations, which we've talked about numerous times. Many health systems modified existing infrastructure or relied on consumer-facing products to fill the gap and address increased demand. So in other words, they may have used Facebook Messenger or um, FaceTime to do telehealth when in reality they're not supposed to. Temporarily they can. I don't think that's been changed yet, but it will eventually change. Um, we have had the ability to perform video visits for six years until the middle of March. We had performed just over 1,000 visits total during that time. Since the middle of March, we have performed over 160,000 due to payment waivers and necess necessity, wrote one customer quoted to the report. We used a few tactics. First, we used tools like Skype, Google Duo, and FaceTime as a stopgap. Then we expanded our epic video integration from urgent care visits to all visit types, including surgical and non-surgical specialties and all primary care. This let us replace the stopgap tools, wrote another respondent. We also implemented on-premises telehealth in the ER, ICU, and floors. That way, a provider can be in the same building as the patient but not in the same room, decreasing exposure and limiting PPE usage. Nearly half of the executives said their organization had enhanced telehealth-related electronic health record functionality the most because of COVID-19 crisis, with another 50% saying they enhanced such tools somewhat. While a few leverage EHR dashboards to go to the real-time data they need, most load the data from their EHR into other software solutions like Microsoft Power BI and Tableau to either house the data or build data visual visualizations. Visualizations, wrote the report authors. And although remote patient monitoring has been another technology concern, only four organizations out of 18 say they have a workable solution. Eight organizations say that RPM technology problem remains unsolved, write the report authors. As the report notes, the longevity of telehealth is still uncertain, although many legislators have signaled their support from some permanent policies that would enable access to virtual care. The details, particularly around reimbursement, remain murky. This past month, the American Hospital Association wrote an open letter to President Donald Trump and leaders at the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services urging them to take specific action to safeguard telehealth in the longer term. We urge the administration to work with the AHA and Congress to create a future for telehealth that allows not only clinicians but also hospitals and health systems to code and bill for virtual services, wrote AHA President and CEO Richard J. Pollack. Regarding the executives surveyed in the KLS report, several mentioned using consumer-facing products like Apple, FaceTime, Google Duo, Zoom, or Skype that enable organizations without existing telehealth capabilities to quickly ramp up and handle increased demand, wrote the authors. Now, Zoom does have a HIPAA-compliant uh, plan. I believe it's $200 a month to use, and they will sign a business associate agreement. So that is an option. I don't know if any of those other services do. I don't. I know some of them don't. I know FaceTime doesn't, and I know some of the other ones may not, but um, Zoom does. While many solutions are suitable for this emergency purpose, solutions that serve a strategic long-term telehealth vision are much scarcer, they continued. That is going to do it for this edition of the Productive IT Cybersecurity Daily. So until tomorrow, stay healthy, stay safe, and stay secure.